Welcome back to the Morning Kick podcast. This is a replay episode from the live YouTube, Facebook and LinkedIn show produced by Excite Media. We encourage you if you're looking at digital marketing, website design, to contact us via excitemedia.com.au. Now let's revisit one of our earlier programs and join our guest. Well, good morning, Kicksters. Welcome back to the Morning Kick, Kicksite Media's resource for small business, helping you to grow during COVID-19 and providing some great intelligence, inspiration, and of course, some great resources to help you at this time. We've been talking to people about branding and marketing, but we've also gone into having a look at some of the more structural things about running a business. And I'm really excited that this day, we're going to be talking about trademarks. You probably thought about it every now and again, should I get a trademark? What is a trademark? But I've got a domain name. Surely that's okay. Well, today we can welcome Blake Knowles onto the show. Blake, thanks very much for joining us. I hope you've got more answers for all the questions that I've got. And you've got some expertise in this area with a company called Sprucens who deal with patents, trademarks, intellectual property. We're probably going to have all these questions covered, aren't we? I hope so, Andrew. Thanks for the invitation today. And I hope it can answer some uh, questions for you. Well, the great thing is I got to know Blake at a networking conference and then found out this is a man who's got a lot of experience in intellectual property and trademarks and actually worked for IP Australia. Now, IP Australia is the kind of governing body uh, working down in Canberra. And at one stage, Blake, you were actually one of the examiners. Can you give us a bit of background as to what you were doing prior to working for Cullens and then Sprucens in this area? Okay, so I started at IP Australia as a temp when I was 19 years old. I was in the trademark processing section, so I was basically a, a clerk, and then I moved into what's called trademark examination, where um, government officials uh, look at a trademark application and then determine whether or not it meets the requirements for registration. So it's a little bit more involved, and I eventually rose up to be a team leader of a trademark examination team. And then I moved into a role where I, you know, I assisted with drafting uh, sections of the manual of practice and procedure and uh, advising on policy issues. So I had quite a broad range of experience with IP Australia over my 10 years there. A fantastic background because it obviously gets your hands dirty and actually the application of trademark law as opposed to just being on the other end putting an application in. Uh, did you feel it was something that you were kind of outgrowing when you decided to actually go into the other side, the legal practice of intellectual property? Uh, yeah, to a certain extent. I think um, working for IP Australia gives you a lot of good experience, but you, you tend to have a narrow viewpoint of um, the issues around intellectual property particularly the commercial side of things that affect business. Um, IP is a very subjective area and often the advice you're giving isn't strictly legal advice, but is, is more commercial advice than anything else. And that's what being in private practices has, has really opened me up to. 
A lot of people get confused by trademark law, and I remember a number of examples. Um, there was a situation where somebody tried to open a McDonald's cafe because their family name had to be McDonald's, and the big golden arches weren't too happy about that. But sometimes it's a little bit more clear, and we just need to be able to navigate it. But there's so many options, um, geographic areas, categories. Where do we start to actually look at the trademark of our family small business? Okay, so what you really got to understand is your starting point is, am I already using a trademark? And any business that is trading already is using a trademark. Um, and most of the time for a small business, their trademark is their business name. Um, but trademarks and business names are not exactly the same thing. But assuming you've got a, a little cafe, you're running it under your business name, it might be called Pitchford's local cafe, um, that is your trademark. Um, and then we need to look at, okay, is that trademark registrable and why would we register it? And, um, you know, those are the questions that I advise clients on um, at the start of the process. And, and the simple answer is, uh, why would you register a trademark? Um, and the reason is it gives you two benefits. The first benefit is it makes it a lot more difficult for someone later to come along and tell you that you can't use that trademark. It gives you what we call a statutory defence to infringement of other registered trademarks. And the second reason is it makes it a lot easier for you to stop someone else using something that's too similar to your trademark. Um, and the main difference between having a registered trademark and not having a registered trademark is a registered trademark is an Australia-wide uh, enforceable piece of intellectual property, whereas an unregistered trademark is a lot more difficult to enforce um, and prevent someone else um, from using, um, particularly if that other person is, say, on the other side of the country to you. So when we're starting off, giving our business a name, putting up a logo and things, we're kind of creating a, a pattern of behaviour. It's just that we haven't registered that trademark so that it gives us that protection. So there are things that maybe we need to register it in certain areas. So um, you're saying that Australia-wide is one issue, so I can't register it for the whole world in one go? Unfortunately, there's no such thing as um, a global trademark where you're protected in all countries. Um, trademarks follow a system of what's called national protection, which means you've got to um, uh, protect your rights in each country in which you're trading or manufacturing. Um, against potential infringers. So the starting point is usually to register in Australia. And then my advice is key markets for key marks for key goods and services. So no business, you know, except for the Microsofts and the Facebooks of the world can really afford to protect all their trademarks in every single country. So it's really a matter of prioritising which countries and which trademarks are most important to protect overseas. So let's go back into the different areas. Like if I have Pitchford's Cafe, can somebody set up Pitchford's Engineering or Pitchford's Gumboots, for instance? Uh, the short answer is yes. Um, so trademarks are protected in various classes of goods and services. And there's 34 classes of goods and there's 11 classes of services. So uh, a cafe would fall under what what's class 43 um, and Gumboots would fall under class 25 because they're shoes. Now, 
just because they're in different classes doesn't mean they can't conflict. But generally speaking, you look at the nature of the goods or the nature of the services and whether they're likely to, you know, be the sort of thing that would originate from the same source. And I would say that, you know, people who run cafes don't generally manufacture gumboots. So in that case, those two trademarks would be allowed to coexist. Where it gets a little bit murkier is, um, for instance, you might sell T-shirts and then someone else wants to come along and sell jewellery. And that's a little bit murkier because you can argue, well, they're both items of fashion and someone who saw my trademark on a T-shirt and then saw it on jewellery might assume that I've branched out into jewellery. And so you would have an argument there that those goods are very similar and that your trademark should allow you to stop that other person from using that same trademark on jewellery. So how do you actually navigate that? Is it a first in, first served when it comes to that kind of scenario? Well, it's a matter of assessing um, all things being equal. The trademarks have, haven't been used by anyone. It's the first person to file the trademark application that has the best rights. Um, but if someone has used the mark before another person files their trademark application, then that first user might have the better rights. And it's a matter of then identifying, well, how far do those rights extend? Do you have a ground for challenging that later trademark application? Is it in your interests to do so? And should we also be looking at registering your trademark as an additional protection? So there's quite a number of factors that go into um, advising um, on trademark, potential trademark conflicts. Um, and a lot of it revolves around commercial risk. So often you may find that your client's trademark has a potential conflict with another trademark, but when you look a bit deeper into the surrounding circumstances, the two businesses aren't actually competing, they're in quite different fields, and there's unlikely to be any commercial conflict. So you may advise in that circumstance, well, you know, technically there is an argument here of, of trademark infringement, but, you know, at the end of the day, the risk of a dispute provided you stay within certain parameters of use is quite low. And then it's up for the, the business owner to decide whether they're, you know, willing to accept that particular level of risk. I have a rule of thumb where if I say something is low risk, it means that it's a level of risk I would be comfortable assuming if I was in my client's position. It doesn't mean no risk, um, but uh, it means I'm very confident that, you know, a dispute is, is highly unlikely. And if a dispute does arise, that it can be navigated successfully um, without having to take drastic actions such as rebranding or, or defending yourself in the federal court. So. And the reality is it's happened. And I'm hoping that maybe a little bit later in the interview, you can give us maybe a couple of quirky examples of that type of situation and how people have navigated it. I do remember a, a situation here in, in Australia where a radio station did set up a new brand, didn't realise that another radio station had actually already trademarked and was using the same name in another state, and then mm. did have to rebrand. Expensive exercise. A lot of small business owners they're trying to get that little business off the, you know, the little engine that could get it off the ground. And one of the things that they first think will protect them is I'll get a domain name on the internet. That'll be my name. 
and then their accountant talks to them and it's kind of like actually you probably need to register a business name and we should look at maybe a company name where do they fit into the picture and are they important in protecting us well they're important commercially um and often my first piece of advice to a client is um, leaving the legal issues aside, if you can't get a domain name that's useful to the business that corresponds to that trademark, then do you really want to use that trademark? Because the domain name is the shop window for, you know, 80% of businesses now, um, you know, have an online presence. So if you've come up with a, a great brand, um, but you can't get a domain name that's going to be marketable. Well, do you really want to go ahead? Do you really want to do trademark clearance searches and file trademark applications if you can't get that domain name? And often the answer they come back is, well, no, it's not that attractive to us now because we can't get the domain name. The other thing I tell clients is if you do a domain name search and it's available, register it straight away, register the domain name straight away, because if you wait a day or two, it's amazing how these things can disappear in a flash. Now, it may well be after you register the domain name, we come back to you and say, oh, well, for these reasons, we don't really think you should proceed. So you may have blown your money on the domain name, but it's a couple of hundred hundred dollars and, uh, you know, it's well worth the risk. Um, and you can hold on to that domain name for a couple of years. Someone might come along and offer to buy it off you. And um, so the, the first answer to your question is domain names are important, but they're more important from the commercial aspect of things. Um, business names are, are a funny thing. You don't actually get any intellectual property rights by registering a business name. Um, registering a business name is, a, is an obligation that federal law imposes on you if you are trading under a name that is not your own name. So if you're an individual, uh, Andrew Pitchford, and you're trading as um, Andrew Pitchford Cafe or Pitchford's Cafe, um, your name isn't Pitchford's Cafe. So you would be obligated by federal law to register that business now. Um, similarly, if you're a company and you're not using your full name, for instance, you're dropping the PTY LTD off the end um, just to make things easier. Again, you know, strictly speaking, you should be registering that alternative name as a business name. So it, it's an obligation, but it doesn't bestow any rights. The most registration of a business name or a company name does is it acts as a, a form of evidence um, that you you know had been trading under that particular name since a particular date it's just one aspect of proving that you have been using a particular mark it's not a conclusive proof of that but it helps you um, what a trademark does that a business name or a company name doesn't do is it gives you enforceable statutory rights. Um, so the trademark in terms of protecting the name and excluding others from using similar names is much more important than a domain name or a business name. But ideally, if you are looking to move ahead with the name, you would try to get the domain name, the business name and the trademark registered. And that would basically cover all your bases um, in terms of commercial, considerations, complying with um, federal law and also protecting your intellectual property rights. I want to circle back in a moment and just look for some of those quirky stories, Blake. But for those that don't know, uh, Blake is with a company called Spruce and Ferguson, and you can visit their website here. And let's have a quick look so that you'll recognize exactly what you're looking for. 
Now, Sprucen actually, um, I guess, absorbed is probably the, the right word, another intellectual property firm called Cullens that Blake was working with. And so there's a lot of experience here. You can see that the website covers patents, trademarks, designs, and IP law. There's going to be a lot of advisors that know something of trademarks, but this is where a real specialty firm can assist. So you guys are um, quite global in terms of the approach, but a lot of expertise here in Australia, Blake? Yeah, so uh, the firm I was at previously, Cullens, was um, one of Queensland's largest patent and trademark attorney specialist firms. It was one of the, the two largest firms in Brisbane. About two years ago, um, we merged with um, Sprucen and Ferguson, which is Australia's largest patent and trademark attorney firm. Um, the, the focus of Sprucen and Ferguson is um, Australia, New Zealand and Asia Pacific. So we have offices throughout most countries um, in the Asia Pacific. Uh, the exceptions are Japan and Korea. Um, where we utilise a network of local agents in those countries. But, uh, you know, our real focus is on helping companies protect their IP across the Asia Pacific through our offices. And we can also assist in other countries as well through uh, our network of foreign associates. And there you go, a simple search under the Our People section and we'll find our way to all of Blake's details. Well, really good that we got that um, kind of expertise on tap locally. And so if you want to get hold of Blake, go to sprucen.com and you'll be able to find out more information about the firm and the assistance that they can have. Blake, coming back to another area, there seems to be things where one type of registration um, or being first will top somebody else. So it seems that being first is important, protecting your business. I'm also interested that there are two types of trademarks to do with word marks and image or device marks. So a lot of people, when they first start a business, let's get a logo done. Logo is going to be amazing. Now I better trademark the logo. Can you explain the difference between a word mark and an image or device mark to us? Okay, so under Australian law, Basically, anything can be a trademark. You can have a trademark for a word, a logo, a combination. You can have a trademark for a sound, a smell, a shape, a colour. Um, but by far, the, the two largest uh, types of trademarks that are filed and the two most important are, are word marks and logo marks. And effectively, the difference is that word marks are the strongest protection for the brand name itself um, because the word mark basically allows you to, in most cases, to stop people using that same word in any font or stylization and also deceptively similar marks that could be confused with that word. Um, so, for instance, phonetic equivalents, um, clever plays on your word mark that people might assume um, you know, are your business if they, they don't remember it um, exactly the way they first saw it. Logo marks are also important and they're generally a little bit easier to register because logo marks are generally more distinctive than word marks. So a lot of the problems faced by word marks is that sometimes they have a meaning in relation to the goods or services. So, um, for instance, if you were running a cafe out of South Bank in Brisbane and you wanted to call it the South Bank Cafe, uh, IP Australia is going to come back and say, well, you know, South 
South Bank is a place, you know, a lot of people go there, they do business there, and there's numerous cafes in South Bank. Why should we grant you a monopoly on calling your business the South Bank Cafe? And they'll raise an objection that the trademark is descriptive or, or non-distinctive. Um, now, that, that objection can be overcome, but it, it's quite an arduous process to go through depending on how descriptive the mark is. What a logo mark can do is you can avoid that sort of objection by presenting your mark in such a stylized way, for instance, with a, an image that is, is quite distinctive, um, that the trademarks office goes, well, okay, those words aren't distinctive, but your mark in its entirety is distinctive and will allow you to register that logo version of the mark. Now, the downside of the logo mark is the rights in it are generally a lot narrower than a word mark. So just because you get that logo registered doesn't mean you could then go to Joe Bloggs down the street and say, well, you can't call yourself the South Bank Cafe because I've got this logo mark registered. Now that's a little bit of a gray area. In, in some cases you might be able to do that or you might be able to use the trademark to at least scare Joe Bloggs enough to say, well, I better, I better not use this because I don't wanna to go to court even though I could win it's not worth the risk. So logo marks have some value um, in that way. The other common type of logo marks is um, devices without words that are generally the logo of the business. And the McDonald's M is obviously one that's very well known, the Facebook F. Um, you know, there's thousands of these logo marks that are instantly recognizable. Um, and the reason you wanna protect those is the same as why you wanna protect a word mark. You don't want someone else using something that's very similar and potentially causing confusion. But word marks and logo marks are, are basically subject to the same tests for registrability and the, the same tests for enforcing against potential infringers. Just now, as we close off, can you give an indication to a small business of what the, the level of investment is typically to actually protect a small business logo or word mark? Okay, so if you're talking about Australia only and you're looking, okay, I, I've never used this mark before, I need to do some clearance searches to make sure it's not gonna be any problem. Then I wanna go through the registration process in Australia. You're looking about two and a half to $3,000 with professional help. Um, if you've been using the trademark for a long time, um, and you don't really need to do clearance searches because you know you, you've been using it for 10 years, you've never had any problems. If you face problems, you're gonna try and work around those problems rather than just, um, just uh, trash the brand entirely and start again. So it might be a little bit cheaper. That's assuming there's no objections raised by the trademarks office or no third party opposes. That's when it can get a little bit more expensive. Um, in those cases, um, if it's a matter of just filing some, some legal arguments with the trademarks office that you know your mark isn't too similar to the earlier trademark that IP Australia has raised as an objection, you're looking anywhere between $500 to $1,000 to, to sort of make those arguments. So I would say for most small businesses to protect their mark in Australia, a reasonable budget to begin with is probably two and a half to $3,000. And, um, you know, in 80% of cases, 
that should be enough. That, that's going to be the only cost you incur for the first 10 years of, of registration. There you covered the one I was going to ask is how long was that registration? So there we go, 10 years. And Blake, any funny stories that spring to mind of things you've had to navigate in trademark law? Uh, yeah, there's plenty of um, plenty of stories and not a lot I can actually tell without revealing. Uh, <laughs> 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 but sometimes you get some silly objections. Um, I mean, more overseas than in Australia, um, some countries, they, they raise objections that, you know, particular marks might be offensive um, because they're words that, you know, import some negative connotation and mostly those sort of objections recently have been coming out of China. Um, so the Chinese trademarks office um, has a very sort of negative view of marks that are an, a negative in connotation because they raise an objection that it's contrary to social cohesion. That's the basis of the objection. Um, so they're often quite difficult to deal with. Um, you also have cases where examiners in the USA, you know, they, they write some really funny things like um, I had one example where my client's mark contained the word Australia in the mark. It was a, a logo mark and Australia was a small element. And the examiner's report basically said our research indicates that Australia is a country in the South Pacific which sort of said to me, well, you really didn't need research to, uh, to do that. Anyway, the objection was fairly simple. We just had to disclaim exclusive rights to, to the word Australia. Um, yeah, more locally based, I've had some horror stories where um, clients have adopted a mark, you know, it's been going quite well for them. And then 12 months down the track, they get a letter of demand saying you, you can't use this because it's too close to our mark. And they're the clients who don't do the, the due diligence. Um, they, they basically don't think about, you know, the consequences of adopting a mark. And often they also think that if they register the business name, that's all they need to do. They think that if the, the government has approved their business name, the government has said, you are fine to use this. There's no possible legal ramifications and that's completely not the case registering a business name is very easy um asic who registers business names doesn't do any checks to see if those business names infringe a registered trademark um, they generally only check to see if there's near identical business names registered and if there isn't um, they'll register a business name so that's the most common um story I hear when people come to me and they've got a nasty letter is, well, I thought I had the business name. Why would, why would ASIC give me the business name if, you know, there was this trademark registered? Um, and in most cases, there's not really much we can do. I mean, often the client is quite upset and they perceive that it's unfair that they have to change their name. But if you follow the legal processes to the natural conclusion, invariably the client's going to lose and going to be ordered by a court to change their name anyway. So at that stage, you know, assuming your client doesn't really have any legal defence, then we look at how do we extricate the client from this situation in the least disruptive and the most cost-effective way, which is 
you know, often just saying, look, terribly sorry, uh, we weren't aware of this. Um, you know, can we have a period where we can phase out the use of our trademark um, while we transition to a new brand? And, and most companies are reasonable. They're not, they're not going to go and commence court proceedings if they can see that you're actively working to resolve the issue. Um, Some good advice. Well, Blake, you were covered a lot, but I think the important thing is that for anyone wanting to delve into this deeper, talk to a professional. So go to sprucen.com, look up Blake. Um, you've always been brilliant in terms of the clients that I've referred, giving them kind of a, an introduction to their particular case. And so a phone call or an email through your website and people can pick up a conversation with you? Absolutely. There's no charge for the first conversation. Um, and often, you know, one conversation is all you need to, to get some guidance on where you should be going. No, I really appreciate that. And and listen, if there's anything that we've learned out of this experience today, some of it actually comes down to common sense. So if you're thinking about a new business, can I recommend don't go with a swoosh or some golden arches or a little left in a blue box? It's probably taken already. So it's been great to have Blake Knowles on the morning kick. And if you're interested in more details, I do encourage you go to sprucen.com. Uh, look up Blake Knowles' details. He's been absolutely brilliant for the clients of Excite Media and can give some really founded advice based on years of experience and the team of people that they have available there. So I look forward to talking to you again this week. Now on Thursday, we're going to be having a look at a charity that Excite Media has been supporting called the Fig Tree Children. Join myself and Jane Shakespeare. That's Thursday morning here on The Morning Kick. <laughs>